Hello and welcome to the Education Marketer Podcast. Copywriting has to be one of my favourite professions and when it comes to higher ed copywriting, few can match the skills of Jo Marshall. She's the owner of All Things Words and she's spent around 20 years perfecting her craft. I'm really happy to get her on the podcast and our conversation covers the worst cliches in higher ed copy and even goes as far to explore how universities can better utilise LinkedIn to talk about their subject niches. She's a good one. Let's get on with the show. I am always impressed with kind of the, the tales and stories you share with everyone you give very powerful stories but you always link it through to like very very clear messages and often you're throwing in some copywriting tips just for just for the fun of it yeah um yeah but one of your phrases and i want to make sure i i get it right um you said that a lot of your work with universities involves shifting their use of language which i absolutely love especially as like an english graduate so can you unpack that for me, please? You know, take me through what it means for you and what does that mean for like your, your day-to-day practice? Yeah, it's interesting. A lot of what we do um, with we're working with unis is really about making sure that the words universities are using are speaking directly to the people they want to reach. For example, you know, signing up to the idea of using clean English and, and universities were often... Um, they like that idea. They think it's really good. But yeah. like in the day-to-day workings of the marketing department or, you know, putting out communications, you know, yeah. what you'll still see is a lot of that dry academic wording seeping in uh, from journals or if you're writing about courses, it might be from the program spec. Um, and so really what I mean by shifting their use of language, it's a lot of it's a translation job, essentially. It's, it's moving away from that dry long-winded way of talking about things that perhaps might appeal to other academics. I mean, in an ideal world, I would also like research papers to be written in plain English. That might be a step too far. But, you know, uh, in in general comms, particularly comms that are going out to a non-academic audience, it's about changing that into plain English, into normal language, so that we're not creating this distance between the people that we're trying to reach and, and, and a university. Universities talk about not wanting to be ivory towers, wanting to widen participation and all of those things. And so the language that they use needs to be an enabler of that and not a barrier. Um, so really it's about changing, shifting language so it's non-academic can get interested in this stuff, can understand it, you know, to begin with, but also get feel compelled to read about it and get involved in it, hopefully, either as a student or as a researcher or um yeah, so it's a translation. It's a translation thing, really. Yeah, there's, I think you've, you've nailed it, really. There's a, there's a whole profession around that, isn't there? And, you know, I always feel very sorry for, like, I'm not sorry. I think sorry, sorry is the wrong word for it, really. But um, uh, emphatic with uh, press and PR officers who have to take those research papers or do interviews with, like, academics so frequently and then spin out, like, press releases and various different comms, similar for social media professionals. So... Yeah, actually taking that language and making sure, you, you know, you're speaking the language of your audience is, is very important. I want to dive in a bit more detail in here because I know you've probably got like a list like a mile long of these things, but, you know, what's sort of the top 
cliches you see in like written copy like what phrases kind of hit you between the eyes is like well there it is again <laughs> like so what's been striking you in that regard yeah i mean god there's there are so many um that sort of overused language um i just think of a few of things like you know we pride ourselves on delivering a quality learning experience or you know, we take a multidisciplinary approach to research. I mean, who uses the word multidisciplinary outside of HE? But you see it all the time. Um, we achieve excellent graduate outcomes. Um, you'll work with world-leading academics. I mean, world-leading is like, oh, you just world-leading is a buzz, a buzz phrase, a buzzword. We'll you know, work with world-leading academics, world-leading this, world-leading world -leading that. Um, and obviously the thing is with this overused language, you start to see it all the time and then it doesn't have the same impact. So it just sort of washes over you. I guess maybe my radar maybe turned up a bit higher than most people because I'm working in it all the time. But, um, you know, and the thing is that yeah, but, but students who are trying to, you know, kind of look at different universities and try and make a choice about which university to go to. Universities want to try and stand out. We don't want to, you don't want all universities to sound the same. They're looking to build their reputation, show their reputation, build their brand. I think it's really important if you can, you know, to really try try and steer clear of this bland, nothingy language. I, I talk about banishing the blah on LinkedIn. That's why why kind of LinkedIn sort of strap yeah, line. Um but you know, HE, if you think about it, HE isn't isn't on its own in, in this regard. You know, most sectors are the same. If you work in a sector, particularly for a long time, you know, you can become linguistically institutionalized, I guess. You start thinking that everybody uses the same terms and expressions that you do um, when they don't. And then you just fall into that kind of sea of sameness. Everyone is a carbon copy kind of of each other. How do you move away from that? One thing you can do is just take a cursory look at a few university websites uh, if you're working in communications and just um start like writing your list of, of, of phrases that you see all the time that we want to stay clear of another good question to ask yourself and um, we this was something that we used to use in my copywriting agency before the one that i set up now before all things words um and we used to we had this like nice little kind of slogan at the bottom of some of our emails which is would your mum understand it? No offence to mums here. Mums probably understand a lot, but, you know, would your mum understand it? Or you could choose, you know, re replace that with something else. Would my teen would your teenage daughter understand it? Um, if you're thinking about uh, appealing to undergraduate students, you know, just out of uh, finishing their GCSEs. Um, and that's a really good one to help you think, like, what actually am I saying? How would I explain it to someone in normal language? That, that's quite a good way of, of steering clear of that overused stuff. Just thinking about some of those examples I gave you, you know, we take a multidisciplinary approach to research or we offer a quality learning experience. The thing with those kind of phrases is not only are they overused, but they also commit some of the kind of main copywriting sins that you mm. see all the time in unicoms. They're too internally focused. It's too like focused on the university and not on the audience, not on the people you're talking to. And they're also too generic to tell you anything useful you know it's not tangible enough we do a lot of work on university course description so like, that's like our niche within a niche really it's kind of the the blurb that's used to sell the courses on the university websites and what you'll see again and again and again is um it's just too generic it's too generic to tell you anything tangible 
there'll be that kind of nothingy language, like we deliver a quality learning experience. But what does that actually mean? What am I actually going to get? A lot of what we do, again, is, is kind of really drilling into that and, and making it tangible. And often we do that by talking to the people that are running the courses and asking them. Sometimes we're asked to, to try and write something from the programme spec, and we can do that. But often it's much, much better to talk to the people that are actually teaching. I mean, I just go on these course pages sometimes and it feels like they're just like a list of, of benefit. So very rarely I'll go on a course page and it's like one theme that sort of links everything together. And you're absolutely right. When I was working in higher ed and I was in the sort of content function, I found that there was often hundreds of stories and great things to, to take out of different departments, but they weren't written down anywhere. You know, they were yeah. all living in people's heads and you speak to someone like the careers team and they talk you through what great career, career support is, for instance. And I was often like just, just absolutely flawed that some of the stuff that they do wasn't com communicated. Um, yeah. and, and you also mentioned this, uh, this, this sort of use of empty language, um, like mm. site courses, um, you know, um, what's the other one world leading. Yeah. And, you know, for me, this falls a sort of falls into a bucket of almost telling the reader how to feel and and think. When really, Absolutely. like the work of a copywriter is to make someone feel a certain way through description or taking them through like a theme piece of piece of work, right? Um, so there's a lot more to the art, and you know, and you know all this. I guess I'm just reiterating it, but yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, that, what you were saying there about kind of the different—it's like what, how you make people feel. Um, there is a, a quote, and I can't remember, but it's like can't remember who said it, but it's like you know, we don't remember what people say, but we remember how they made us feel. Yeah, that's um, it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I think it's maybe Maya Angelou, but I might be misquoting that. Um, but yeah, so and I think. One of the ways we can do that as copywriters and as communicators, as you know, as content creators on LinkedIn, um, is is that idea of showing, not telling. You know, show not show, don't tell. We bang on as copywriters, bang on about this all the time. And I think it actually comes from um, nonfiction as, as well. You know, this idea of like um, you don't want to tell people everything. You want to show them, paint the picture get them to feel it for themselves. And I think there's a really, really big opportunity for universities to do more of that. Um, you know, and, and storytelling is obviously one of them, um, telling, telling better stories. But there are other things too. I think you've talked about this on LinkedIn as well. It's like you're asking people to spend a big chunk of money on a course um, with the, and give up three years of their time why aren't we doing why aren't they why aren't universities doing more things like tasters like why aren't we giving people an insight into what they can actually get um how can you how can you show your expertise rather than telling people your world leading how can you invite them into that and show them it so they can experience it for themselves so i think actually as a as, as a copywriter as an he copywriter a lot of what we're doing is that thinking as well and thinking about how do we solve these communication problems? It's not just about making the words sound nice. We're trying to um, solve problems to help people communicate better. You raise a very interesting issue there. Like if you do take a step back from the sector and think about it objectively, a young person will look at a, a course description, maybe a few reviews, they'll go to an open day, 
And that's the basis of the decision. That's, that's yeah. the kind of input they get to make that commitment. And I, I can't think of anything else that's quite as pivotal, but has so potentially so many, so few levers involved in that yeah. decision process. So the only kind of emotion or depth that you can provide with course content or various content uh, from content marketing histories you're working on, I'd, I just think it's so much more valuable than than people realize course pages aren't catalogs so they really do need to make these programs speak because these pages are so influential and i i don't think the majority of them ever reach that potential it's really interesting as well and i think this is one of the reasons that i started to want to focus on this particular part of what a university you know the part of the communication offer that, that these course pages because they are woefully invested in for some reason I'm not really sure why because there's some importance that universities will spend money on big campaigns and things and and different parts of the communication journey but these pages sometimes are left languishing there um maybe be given a few little updates in fact I was talking to communications uh, marketing contacts in a university the last week or the week before and they were saying you know we just send it out every year to our program leads we ask them if they've got any updates, um, you know, and if, if anything's factually changed to make sure we're CMA compliant and, you know, things like that. But they're not thinking about it any more than that. They're not thinking, mm. are we talking, are we, are we tapping into what students are, like need and want us to be talking about now? Can we update even the layout? I mean, the layouts of them are a lot better. I mean, a lot of universities now are a lot better than they used to be. Yeah. But a lot of university sites are like these unwieldy beats that are difficult to navigate around and you know that needs to change these you know students today that are, well people that are going to university today they've always had access to the internet they want good online communication experiences I think when I went to uni I don't know what it was like when you went but it was I went to the university not the university the school careers office and thumbed through a couple of prospectuses and that was it I might have gone to a couple of open days but um now you know now there's all this opportunity to create these good you know great communication experiences online yeah for me the internet it, it was definitely a thing to do university research on but it it wasn't as big as a deal as it is now i mean i i probably a bit atypical i chose my university based on the percentage split between exams and coursework and to find that information there was this tome in my library at school and it Honestly, it was like this thick and it's like a list. I don't yeah. know how that they compiled these, these books back then. I mean, there were serious resources. Um, for most mm. of my friends, it was like they go to fairs, they order prospectuses or whatever it is. And yeah, there wasn't a lot of people using the internet in like the kind of early 2000s properly to make those university decisions. And university websites just weren't set up for it. it it's quite comical no. when you use like the Wayback Machine and you can see what they used to look like. Um, yeah. While you were looking at university, it's 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 quite remarkable, really, how much has come on. But you, you don't see it when you just look at it day to day. You only see it when yeah. you're looking at it over like a period of uh, ten years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think they've come forward. Like in, a, in most university websites, have come forward. You know, taken big strides forward. But I think there's still like massive room for improvement in a lot of areas, yeah. which is great. You know, there's the opportunity to keep improving things. I need to ask you. Um, about your, your sort of practice in, in a certain area that you focus on higher ed so you do have a niche that you you work within um but i imagine that you write a lot of different 
content for different subject areas, different research disciplines. Um, and I'm, I'm curious how you manage to create copy, sound like an authority on vastly mm. different subjects that you haven't studied, you're an expert in. You know, what's the, what's the art behind that? Because, you know, I create content for a living, but it's all higher ed marketing content. So I can talk with reading authority because I've, I've done it. I write about it every day. I read around that topic, but you don't have that luxury for like every subject area a university's ever created. So how do you approach that? I think it'd be good for some copywriters to understand that process. For a start, we're not ever claiming to be the experts in the topic, but we're writing about um, a complex, often complex topics in an, in kind of a non-academic way. So a way that, that people who aren't experts in it can understand. Um, so I think, um, you know, how do you sound authoritative without being an expert? It's about actually just kind of talking about things in normal language, um, you know, and, and, and often I think there's this idea that if you're, if you're, if you want to sound authoritative, then you have to use long words and you have to be, you know, try and sound really clever. And I think that's probably a myth that, that was, that was fed to most of us at uni ourselves, perhaps, or at school. You know, I remember when I first started working as a copywriter, I thought I was a pretty good writer. You know, I did, um, you know, I'd done pretty well um, at uni and I was quite good at writing essays. And then I started working as a, gra- as a graduate trainee copywriter, um, you know, straight out of uni. And I had to unlearn everything. I had to unlearn everything about how I knew, what I knew about writing. I had to start again, really. Um, and so I think, if you can learn to write about a subject clearly, even if it's a complicated subject, if you can find the kind of important things within that that you need to communicate and you can use normal language to do that, then actually that kind of exudes um, sort of a com- that has a confidence to it anyway. And it's also about sort of showing respect for your, for your reader. So you're not making it hard for them to decipher what you're talking about. And, and, and I think people, People respect that. There's some kind of, you know, if you can explain things clearly, you know, people relate to that. Um, so, yeah, in terms of switching between different subjects, I used to get kind of daunted by, I'd get sent like reams of stuff about a complicated bit of research. And one I used to, I mean, it still actually sometimes makes my head hurt when I get this stuff. I'm like, oh my God, I can actually feel my brain crying or whatever, you know, finding it hard. But now I, now I have the confidence to know if I just keep going and I persevere, if I keep reading it a few times, I can pick out the nuggets of what I need. And then the next stage is to talk to the talk to the academic and not be afraid of asking um question, you know, and asking and keep asking questions until you get to get to the crux of what it's about. I'm probably gonna have to ask you what might seem like quite silly questions, but that's gonna help me communicate it to a non-academic audience. And, and often just owning that from the outset, they like that. Um, yeah. And they often, they actually quite enjoy talking about it in a way that they don't normally get to do because they're often talking, you know, to their peers about it. You're, you're right about the whole having to relearn how to, how to write when you first enter these professions. Uh, you know, I, I studied English at university and I was lucky that I combined it with um, creative writing. So my transition into like copywriting wasn't quite as rocky as a, as a lot of people's, um, mm. cause I already had that sort of plus element that could help me shape stuff a little bit differently, but yeah, still you completely have to tear out the rule book. Um, 
And it's, it's funny as a new copywriter, I always found that, you know, you're very um, determined to show your brilliance and you might write things in a really weird way, but it's often the, the copywriting that's invisible, you know, that actually yeah. does the most, most talking. You don't want to highlight the fact that, oh, that's copywriting. <laughs> you kind of want it to just make people feel and, and convince them to do certain things. So yeah, totally, yeah. totally feel where you're, you're coming from with that one. Um, I wanted to kind of link this into the the way you talk about your yourself and what you do do on LinkedIn, and I think that in itself is a is a certain art form that you know myself as well. I've been trying to get my head around it for the last couple of years. Yeah, um, I think it's a bit of an underutilized channel, and a lot of people don't realize the, the the true potential of it. What what are your thoughts on the platform, and have you got any? Um, unobvious advice for people looking to you know, build a LinkedIn presence or at least uh, try and communicate a, a point of view through that platform? Mm, yeah, we met on LinkedIn. I love LinkedIn uh, now, which is like, it's quite amusing to me sometimes to think about that because when I think back a few years, I had a LinkedIn profile maybe for about, I don't know, maybe 10 years, 15 years, never went on it, you know, just did that thing where it's a bit like an online CV sort of thing um and i used to think it was the boringest corner of the internet you know like just oh how corporate and boring look at all those people talking about work i don't want to be up there and now and then actually what happened was i it was during covid things went a little bit quiet i i started investing in some coaching it was actually the coach that i worked with that said look if you want to grow things if you want to um you know grow what you're doing then you need to be visible so i had to really get through that painful stage of, of you know feeling vulnerable and feeling exposed and feeling like oh who am I to share my thing and um and it yeah it took me a good few months to it was still uncomfortable and sometimes it still is but I kept going and then I started seeing the benefits of it it's a brilliant place for me to find clients I've made loads of contacts on there um I actually feel part of a community there's a brilliant copywriting community on there. I have a team now. I have a team of writers that work with me. Largely, I've worked on my own. But, like, you know, copywriting can be quite a solo discipline as well. Even if you're in a team, you're still ultimately writing on your own a lot of the day. Um, so to go on to LinkedIn, I think of it as a bit like the on, an online version of chatting around the water cooler as well, as well as as well as well sharing what I do. Um yeah, and I can sometimes actually become a bit evangelical about it. It um, it feels a bit like when I first had counselling, and I, I I I thought I would love counselling so much that I tried to convince all my friends to have it. And yeah. I feel a bit like that about LinkedIn. I try not to ram it on people's too much, but I think there's a real opportunity. Go on there and share what you know to help people um, with the particular thing you do. Um, you know, in my case, obviously he copywriting. Um, and, you know, if you can do that clearly, if you can tell stories, if you can find interesting ways to share bits of advice, then people are going to start connecting with that. And if you stick at it, you know, people talk all the time about consistency. And I think you, I've seen you write a few posts about this as well, like giving up too soon. Like you do need to put the time in and stick with it and go through, for me anyway, that uncomfortable period until you feel a bit more, you know, it, it just feels a bit more natural. In terms of how universities could use it, I mean, 
I think if universities aren't equipping their academics to use it or to use it well, then they probably are missing a trick. Just use a ram jammed full of subject experts. If they can do what we're doing on there, come on there and find interesting ways to share their subject, get people excited about it. If they're teaching it in their courses in, in these interest, in interesting ways, then that can translate onto LinkedIn. It's like they've already got the content there. Yeah, that's they can just chunk it up and put it onto LinkedIn and in different ways and that might then inspire things in their teaching I don't know it could kind of feed in the, um, you know back and forth in, into one another and then students potential students or potential partners or potential um, people that might want to get involved in research you know they can then go onto LinkedIn and get to know that person get to know their expertise you know feel confident in in what they're doing university still I think have to overcome this thing of some people might feel that they're these kind of faceless, cold organisations that perhaps aren't for them. And I think social media could be a way of overcoming some of that, of creating more of that. Now, these are this is, this is actually the person that might be teaching the course I'm doing. And I've been following them for a good few months now. I know what they're about. Yeah, I think you've you absolutely nailed it. The challenge universities have is that uh, the social teams, that they often have to manage these very large audiences and there's often only a handful of them in the in the team to do that so they don't they don't have the permission or the the, the kind of scope to actually enable them to deep to, to go down these kind of niche content marketing avenues but you know you're absolutely right and it's it's more of a mindset shift than a resource one i think um because at the moment you we pile a lot of resource into like you know campaigns which are usually quite high level and if they go down to the subject area they're very kind of kind of pushy um, yeah. and designed for quick return whereas what you're discussing like you're saying you've got like a niche subject area expert they, they become the face of the organization people think of them when they're ready to to buy what a better phrase because yeah. they've built up that relationship with their their content and yeah and i think i think linkedin has keystone shared research recently that postgraduate students there's a huge audience on yeah. on linkedin and there's new features coming to the platform that allow universities or any organization really to to set up multiple LinkedIn newsletters and I've seen some right. universities leading into that like Staffordshire and they do a, a I think it's a fortnightly newsletter and they often have academics collaborate on the content that they they put out and it's accessible it's interesting and it's a small example but it's just one way in which you can use the platform to connect with the right audience and do it with the right style of content so yeah, I think in the future, as it becomes well, essentially harder to go viral because people are more focused on their niche subject areas or their niche topical area, um, we have algorithms that are really focused on what we like and what we want to consume now. So I think when we kind of move away from scale and look more towards like, the, the niche, it, we'll see a surge in higher ed of people wanting to build out their academic voices on, on these platforms and yeah. You might actually see a transformation how social media is done in, in the education space. I, I think it's really exciting. And yeah, yeah. No, I'm glad that you're using the platform too. I've I've had quite a learning yeah. experience, same, same as you. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's it's kind of the, it's one of the main ways I get a new client, um, LinkedIn. And I actually enjoy it as well. It's like, which is nice, you know, to find a form of marketing that you, you know, That's it. I get because I get other things out of it too. I, I It helps me to work out what I think. It helps me to kind of, you know, get clear on, on my own kind of messaging and so there were, and, and the community aspect, you know, so there are lots of different benefits and recommend, recommend it to anyone. 
yeah, in the old days, we used to have to go to conferences and be have awkward conversations and try and work out yeah. what services. But you know, now you just share what you know on digital networks. You you get the scale yeah. and people think of you when they have the problem that you you can solve. It's it sounds really simple when you put it that way, but I think it is. It is, and it's like as you say, it's, it's done away, done away with, but reduce the need to have to go to that cringy networking event unless you unless you enjoy that kind of thing. I used to hate, I used to hate having to kind of go and think, oh, everyone's just kind of trying to hand their business cards around, and it's all a bit like, you know, uh, cringy. Um, and now I like going to networking events and genuinely catching up with people. And some of them are people I've met on LinkedIn. So you know, it's kind of. It's it's just yeah it's taken as I'm quite I can be quite introverted in those in those big kind of networking events. In fact, I tend to like find one person to cling to them, stick to them, not miss out on talking to all those other people. Um, but yeah, LinkedIn LinkedIn's good for that as well. I'm exactly the same as you. Um, I I go to conferences fairly frequently. Um, I, I do my I do my talk and the most valuable. Um, things yeah, I get is usually the one person who sits next to me or something like that um yeah. or the questions I get after a session but I'm definitely not the kind of person to just kind of walk into a room and then go hello I'm here and let's have yeah. a chat I, I just I can't I can't do that um so yeah like you I'm very grateful for these networks as I can share advice and I can have a conversation with people but I don't feel like I'm imposing on them I know there's an artist exactly. things and some people are more comfortable in different environments but yeah I'm, I'm very grateful that digital networks um now exist yeah um, me too thank you for having this conversation today it's it's been really good um you've kind of made me reminisce of when i was a copywriter um i kind of i'm oh. in some regard <laughs> so, yeah it's really good to, to, to have a chat um, what's the thank best you. way for people to reach out to you if they've got a uh, high red uh, marketing copywriting problem linkedin of course. Um, yeah, LinkedIn or the website is allthinkwords.co.uk. Um, but yeah, just to connect with more HE marketing folks, um, always, always up for having conversations about anything HE copy related or copywriting generally. Great stuff. Well, I'll make sure uh, that they, uh, they do connect with you. So uh, take care and I'll speak to you again soon. Thanks so much, Carol. Thank you. Okay, bye. Thank you.